0: Well, good morning. Thank you so much for inviting me. Me and my family had a. We live in Birmingham, and we took a drive and yesterday, and stayed in Greenville. And we had decided that we were going to use this time for us to go to vacation after this. So my kids said, "Dad, make it about 15 minutes, and then we'll go." Uh, So I promise you won't be quite that short. uh, But again, thank you so much. What a beautiful church and beautiful people and. Have gotten to know your pastor a little bit, just texting and calling him, and just wonderful staff. And just we were greeted the moment we got here a couple of hours ago. Uh, so you should be commended on that. What a joy and a privilege to come here and give you what I think is God has placed on my heart. But if you would, before we pray, let's stand and let's read uh, from the Word of God. We're in Matthew 16, Matthew 16, 13 through 20. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist. Others, Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah. Or one of the prophets. Verse 15. But you, He asked them, Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responded, Simon Son of Jonah, you're blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the forces of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this time together. Oh, what a wonderful privilege it is to be together, and like the deacon said, an offering, to be here freely to come. But we also know that if we weren't allowed, we would still be compelled to meet with each other, because You've asked us to do so. You initiated through Your Spirit the living church, and it is our duty and our pleasure to come together where you promised if we do more than two, you will be here. So you're here. We love you. We honor you. So we please ask through your spirit that you would open our minds to understanding, your ears to hear, and ultimately our hands for your service in our communities. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. On the Alabama Baptist State Board of Missions called me three years ago. They called me out of uh, teaching... Apologetics. When I was younger, I had grandiose ideas of being a big philosophy professor at some university. God, fifteen years later, had me at a really great place. When Sammy Gilbert called me, it was teaching seventh grade apologetics. If anybody of you know, if any of you out there know, teaching seventh grade for two years, and I was kind of duped into that, by the way, teaching seventh grade is a skill. If it isn't, go try to do it, all right? I have taught apologetics everywhere, but it was my pleasure, at least not at the time I didn't think so, but it was my pleasure to teach 7th grade for a year. Because in 7th grade, and teaching them something like apologetics, which is help you to defend the faith, right? Help you to talk to people about the Christian worldview. Through 7th grade, I had people and kids, and, and kids that are around 13, 12, 13 they were coming in after P.E. So I had smelly kids that were tired. Bellies were full. The last thing they wanted to do was fill their brains with apologetics. But what a grand time it was for me to, to kind of back and forth ask them questions about the faith. Because you see, they were open and honest when I would ask them questions. And what we would come up with and what we did come up with was something that I borrowed from some other groups, but we made it our own. Because I wanted to equip them when they would go out into the world, and I've tried to help my kids and others around. This is what the Alabama Baptist asked me to do. How in the world can we express to other believers and to non-believers our faith? And how do we do it in a winsome way where we're compelling people to know the Jesus that we know? And I came up with a mnemonic device. We came up with a device of asking people fundamental questions of their faith. And I do that. I'll go around talking about origin. Where do we come from? Meaning, what is our purpose? Morality, what is good and evil? And then destiny, where do we go after we die? But all those questions lead to a fund even more fundamental what we call in philosophy a grounding question. So that place that that's the start point for all other questions. And that's a question what we call authority. By which authority do we Do we hold these other questions to have power in our lives? Well, brothers and sisters, that main question is a question that we have to ask ourselves and we have the pleasure of doing as ambassadors to the world. And that's a question people were asking in the second temple period right here in Matthew. What is that question? It's the fundamental question of who is Jesus? Who is He? Who did he claim to be? If you think about it, if you want to reread the Gospel message, the Gospel narrative, people were scratching their heads. Because to encounter Jesus was either to be lifted up or you would walk away. You would either be enchanted by who this man was and is or you would be disenchanted and you would fall into your own sinful self-deception. It is no different today. So who is he? Well, we could spend the next year doing this particular thing, but I want to take you at least to two or three spots in Scriptures where I'm going to show you when people encountered him, they scratched their head and said, I don't know who he is. From his family to the religious leaders to his own hometown, people were scratching their heads. When you encounter Jesus, you encounter something wholly different that's cosmically different. And we are asked to do that not only in Andalusia, not only in the state of Alabama, but we're asked to do this globally. To push people towards asking this question. There is no greater encounter than to encounter Jesus Christ. So put your finger in Matthew 16, and we're going to take a little bitty trip across the Gospels. And where I hope to end is in Acts, where I will show you what I think is a great showcase of the radical nature of if you answer this question a certain way, the earth will shake. So let's go. Go to, if you will, open your Bibles to, or flip over to Mark. Mark 3. Mark chapter 3. I'll give you time to flip. Today's going to be like a little Bible drill. Jesus had left his hometown, Nazareth, and was building up his adult life. He'd come to Capernaum, uh, we think, probably to be some sort of stonemason or to be a builder, a carpenter. Carpenters did a lot at the edge of the Sea of Galilee. The picture here is Jesus, who has been trained by His Father, has now gone to create an adult life before the ministry, that the three years to the cross. And in Capernaum, in, the, in that surrounding area, He was doing amazing things. He had just healed in chapter 3 a man with a paralyzed, withered hand. And now we're seeing Jesus as He has accepted what the father had told him to do why he, what he was here to do to give up this adult life in Capernaum give up his home life to pursue the cross and in doing so wherever he walked wherever he was miraculous things happened if you want to give a good picture of what this is like think about the garden of eden think about the first part of genesis where you got where adam and eve Humanity, the ones that were created with God's image, got to walk with Yahweh. Think of Jesus as that space and place. Wherever Jesus was, was like the garden. Wherever Jesus was, there was Yahweh. Wherever Jesus was, crazy, odd things happened. People were healed. You heard the truth. This is a little picture of what it will be like when we pass and get to be with Jesus forever. He is the garden. He is the space and place where heaven and earth meet. Embodied in an incarnate flesh, here is Jesus. So here he was. and But started doing some interesting things. So what happened? Well, look at chapter 3, verse 20. Then he went home. Home is an interesting kind of term here. He went to the space that he called his home here. And the crowd gathered again because they had saw and they had heard this man doing miraculous things. When they were not, so they crowd gathered again, so they were not even able to eat. When his family heard this, they set out to restrain him because they said, He is out of his mind. The scribes who have come down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebub in him. And he drives out demons by the ruler of demons. If you would think anybody could answer the question of who is Jesus... There are two kinds of people in this passage. One, his own family. If you want to know about Matt Burford, you go find whoever my family is and you would go ask them. Who is this man? What is his reputation? What has he done? What is his background? If you want to ask, and if you want to ask the question to find out who I am, this is what you would do. Alright? So what do we encounter here in Scripture? We encounter first and foremost he is doing these miraculous things But his family schemed to go get him. When his family heard, they left Nazareth and came and said they were out of his mind. They were going to go grab him and move him back. Because surely Jesus is not going to give up this adult life where he's skilled as a carpenter. A future adult life where he could be profitable. He could flourish. He could have a family. But no, he's giving it all up. And he's starting to do a lot of interesting things. You can just see the hint here of his mother. His mother Mary, who had encountered all these incredible angelic things when she was younger. The virgin who gave Christ, who birthed Christ, who was his own mama, was worried about his son. You can see here like a tendency of saying, wait, whoa, wait, 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 Jesus, don't do what you were told we were told you're going to do. You're too good of a kid. you got too much promise. Too much talent. Too much to give to the world. Don't start mucking it up. Second Temple Judaism around this time was this really interesting trade center. It wasn't the epicenter of the world. That was in Rome. But it was important enough where people would come, all kinds of folks would come back and forth through that area. There was talks around this time of Judaism and Jews wanting to reclaim their space and place as the rightful epicenter of the world. There were all these messianic stories of other people. There were always things happening and Rome having to come and squelch these issues. They knew that. His mom and his family knew that. And they were like, listen, don't cause a stir. Just have a simple life. Well, what about the scribes? Here are the religious leaders. We know the scribes were the ones that Their whole sect and group were those who sat down and wrote out the Torah. They wrote out the story. And they had done so for so long, they got the reputation of, well, they know what they're doing and they know what they're saying. So if I have a question of theology, I'm going to go to those guys. I'm going to go ask them. Surely they know the ultimate questions. And they were right to go seek Jesus out. They had heard stories, so they were right to go see who He was. So if anybody can answer the question of who is Jesus, surely it's the theologians. Surely it's the ones that know better. Surely it's those who are in authority. They encountered him, but what did they see? They called him Beelzebub. He drives out demons by the ruler of demons. The very people who should have known better. The very people who should have encountered Jesus and had the word of The Lord in their head, the Torah memorized. When they encountered Jesus, they called Him a demon. And we know from the stories, and we can fill this particular story up with what happened, what they were afraid to lose their power and their significance. So Jesus' family was afraid He'd lose His adult life. The authorities were afraid to lose their power. When you encounter Jesus, you you encounter a lot. And we encounter two, th- we see here two types of people that answered it those ways. Well, surely there's more examples, and there are. So look at Mark 6. So I want you to look at Mark 6, because surely if somebody's going to answer this question, surely it's his hometown. Again, if you want to answer the question of who is Matt Burford? You go to Anniston, Alabama. You go outside of Anniston, Alabama, to a small little suburb called Sax. If you go to Sax, you go to this road called 1420 High Oaks Drive because that's where I grew up. My little neighborhood was full of people that my parents went to school with in Sax. We were one of those type of communities where I could see my dad's picture in my high school. Right? I went to church with most people that I knew. Probably a lot like this place in space. Surely. If we were to figure out who Jesus was, we would go to his hometown and find the answer. Well, let's look. Chapter 6, verse 1. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples now followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who had heard him were astonished. Where did these men get these things, they said? What is the wisdom given to him, and how are these miracles performed by his hands? Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And aren't his sisters here with us? So they were offended by him. Then Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his household. So he was not able to do any miracles there, except that he had laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Surely Nazareth could answer this ultimate question. But they failed. How did they fail? They failed in not realizing this was not just a man. This was a man who was also God. They failed because they looked to His humanity and not His divinity. They looked because they thought they knew Him and could not understand and had no expectation that they were blessed by having the Messiah for so many years. Can you imagine? If I was to build a fable, if I was to create a myth during this time, I would have put Jesus in Rome. Why? Because this is the most significant place in the world. If I was to make up a story, I would not have put him, if I was going to choose that region, it would be Jerusalem, right? Because that's the epicenter, the spiritual epicenter of that world. No, he was born in Bethlehem. He went to Egypt, and then they moved up near the Sea of Galilee, here in, in Nazareth. I would not have picked that place. The Messiah, the one they had ex, the expect the expected Messiah, came from Nowheresville, Nazareth. I like to tell people when I go asked to talk, you know, and I've been asked to talk a lot of places. A lot of friends of mine. I have two now that are from California. They're always making fun of my accent. They're always talking about, oh, you use y'all. You sound different. Well, Jesus probably had a draw, too, because he was kind of from the deep south of his area. And we know that those who were up there sounded a little different. They did. So in my mind and in my imaginings, Jesus had a little draw in his Hebrew and Aramaic. And I think it's the same here, too. Jesus was from Nowheresville, and in, his, and in Jerusalem, there was no expectation for him to be there. And why do I say that? Because even in Nowhere'sville, Nazareth, they weren't expecting to have the Messiah there. Think about where their hearts were and how callous they were. Because now you wonder if they think back and go, oh my goodness, we walked with the God man, we walked with the Messiah, the one that sits on the throne. Because we saw Him as human and human only, we missed Him. They didn't answer the question of who is Jesus correctly. And in so doing, and in so making Him only a man, what did it say? They missed miracles. Sounds like our state sometimes... As a missionary, I'm charged to go around and talk to people and help people spur them towards talking about Jesus. And sometimes I walk around, brothers and sisters, and I think, well, I think we tried to honor Him and we build nice buildings to honor Him, but I don't see the spirit and the encouragement of Jesus in our cities and states and in our communities. We think we know Him, but do we really know Him? We honor Him by calling him, we're calling ourselves Christians, but do we live it out? What would our state, what would this city look like if we not only just told people that we were Christians, but we actually lived as if He was on the throne? I have to go to classes now in front of older men and older women who should know better and look them in the eye and say, you do realize that Jesus sits on the throne, right? And they all go, yeah, no, 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 no. You do realize that He is in a space and a place on the throne right now. Physically somewhere. And they just kind of look at me and I go, okay, He's not a literary figurative character. He wasn't somebody just made up. He was real. He was historical. He actually lived and He walked here this is not Gandalf or the Lord of the Rings, somebody just made up by Tolkien. This was a real man, a real God-man that lived. And if you understand that, then you have, to be, you have to encounter what he said about himself. But why is that important? Because his own hometown dishonored him. Because they were not expecting the Messiah to be there. So what happened? He left, and he was not able to do miracles, and he was amazed at their unbelief. There are only two places that I know of in Scripture where Jesus, one well, a couple. And I'm thinking of two places where Jesus was amazed. Here, and you remember the Roman soldier, the faith of the Roman soldier? How do you want to amaze Jesus? Do you want to amaze him at your unbelief or amaze him at your belief? I want to be the latter. So think about that. And why is that important? So his hometown didn't know, his family didn't know, and his religious, the religious leaders didn't know. And all through gospel, the, the gospels, we see that people didn't know. But now we, and go back, flip back to Matthew, now we're at the text. Because here we are. The, almost the penultimate event the, event, the event leading up to his march towards Jerusalem He has been with the disciples for three-ish years, going on almost three years. He's taught them. He has been their rabbi. This is how this world works. You would follow, you would learn, and then you would go out and act like the one who taught you. This This was their final test. He's been with them. They'd seen all these incredible things. They had spoke about him in different places. He charged them to go and speak about him and who he was and who he claimed to be. Now he's got them. And He's going to test them. But we, because we don't know our Scripture very well, most of us don't, we don't have a clear, high definition of picture of what's going on. Because if I was going to pick a space and a place to announce to the entire globe who I am, because that's who Jesus is doing. That's what He's doing. He's finally announcing to the world and to the spiritual realm who He is, and He's declaring it. So where did he pick it? Well, if I was to make, again, if this was to be my story, I wouldn't have picked this place. Caesarea Philippi would be the last place I would have declared myself. Why? Caesarea Philippi wasn't even considered a religious, uh, 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 a Jewish city. It was outside kind of north of the Sea of Galilee, uh, north of Nazareth and these places. It was a Roman city that had a Babylonian pagan background. It was a Gentile city, right? Not only that, it was a very pagan religious city. So there was this this huge kind of cave and chasm place where water would come up and would flow into the Jordan River that would eventually flow into the Sea of Galilee. The place where Jesus is is more like New Orleans on Bourbon Street. Have that as a picture in your mind. Because Caesarea Philippi was a place where they would have this god of Pan who would go hide in the mountains, they thought. This half-goat, half-man god of fertility would go hiding in the winter. And they did all these atrocities, all these celebrations to get the god of Pan to come out and start spring. And in doing so, this godless, heathen, pagan city would have all kinds of debauchery going on. Does that sound like a place to declare your Godhead? But there's a reason why He did it, and we'll get to it. And it's incredibly powerful. So He gathers His disciples to give them a the final exam. And the backdrop is this great kind of chasm with this water coming out that some Roman person at some point said, you can't even plumb the depths of this water. It must be where the spiritual realm is. In the background, not only that, but there would be these holes where people would carve and they would come and put little god, they thought little G God totems in. They would seek out this place to go seek out the gods for favor. And they would do all kinds of atrociousness. But Jesus took this place, pace, space and place to announce this. Who do people say? The son of man is. This is a question that a teacher would give an, you know, as an essay, right? The final exam. In John the Baptist, they say, some say John the Baptist, other Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Okay, that's typical what kids do, right? Well, they don't want to answer the question. Well, I know what other people say. They say this, 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 and this. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. That ain't their test. This is your test. Who do you say that I am? Peter, being the one that always was like this, said, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He answered correctly. And Jesus responded, Simon, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church and the forces of Hades will not overpower it. That is military battle esque language. Jesus is at a, is in looking at the dead gods that pagan people are worshiping and saying, I am Jesus. I am the what? Messiah, the son of the living God. Go backwards here. The living God. He's saying, He's the son of Yahweh. Not these pitiful dead gods that do nothing for you. But the living Yahweh. And I'm the son of the living Yahweh. Which means I and I alone situ- am situated to the Father in a way nobody else is. So don't ever get tricked into thinking there are multiple ways to get to Yahweh. There is one way to get to Yahweh. One We have a culture here today that wants to say otherwise. Oh, just be tolerant. Right? And we want to be tolerant. We want to be gracious. But we don't want to treat ideas the same. We treat people the same, not ideas. Jesus, people treated, Jesus treated people with grace and dignity when it needed it. But he did not treat ideas the same way. He never did. He was very exclusive that way. So don't ever confuse being inclusive and being nice with believing whatever because this doesn't matter. Our world wants to take Christianity and put it in a place where it just doesn't matter. That's just your faith. Leave it alone. You can believe it here in church or in your home. But don't take it to the marketplace. You take it to the marketplace of your business. Now you're going to to be in trouble. And we're heading to a culture where it's going to get worse and worse and worse. But why should we expect anything different than Jesus and what He had to go through? Jesus is standing before all these dead gods and all these people that have built these structures, these power structures. In the background, He knows years ago, my mom and my brothers and sisters thought I was crazy. The religious leaders, the Jewish leaders are calling me the devil. But I alone am situated with Yahweh to do a purpose. I am the Son of the living God and I am the Messiah. I am the one that was promised at the very beginning to fix this whole thing. The King, the Son of the living God. No one's like Him. No one. And He says it as kind of a battle to saying not even these dead things are going to matter. Because you know he's thinking about the cross. Because he's thinking, once it's done, nothing's going to hold back my church. Once I init- once it's been initiated through the Spirit and I'm raised, nothing's going to stand in the way of my church. Nothing. So as bleak and as meek and as depressed as we can get, with culture, with newscasts from whoever, showing all the negative things, From even from the Christian point of view, when we're talking about, you know, church growth is not what it used to be, or you know, Alabama is becoming more secular. All those things are good to know. Then let me in on a let me give you a little secret that I know from Scripture: ain't nothing stopping Jesus, nothing. And you're either going to get on board, or you're not going to be a part of it at all. And it all depends on how you answer this question, because nothing, and not even the powers of the deep are going to overpower it. This is what Satan was afraid of. And not only that, he will send his spirit And that church that is initiated here on earth will be his vassals and be his ambassadors. So we have no excuse, young or old, zero excuse. I saw where you, you guys are going to go do a prayer thing. This should be our honor and our blessing to go out and pray for people Because our weapons of war are not nuclear warheads. Our weapons of war are like Jesus. The power that He had that's when dwelling in us. Prayer, fasting, community, the Word of the Lord. These things are our weapons, our spiritual warfare weapons. But sometimes we wield them like they're nothing. You get a church that prays, just get a church that prays, who gets together in community and devotes themselves to prayer. And see if that Initial kingdom of God doesn't happen here. Because I know it will. So Matt, you're asking, what does this church look like? Well, let's go one more place in space. Go to Acts 4. This is after Jesus, of course, was crucified and He was raised and He had left. He'd be ascended and the Spirit of the Lord came upon them in Pentecost. The church was new. The church was in an embryonic stage, but it had incredible amount of power. I ask you and I implore you to spend time in chapter 4. Chapter 4 is a good kind of view of where we are and where we should be as a church. I'm not going to go through all of it, but go home and read it. It's really, really good. Peter and John were arrested. They were facing Jewish leadership. Jewish leadership came over because they knew a lot of people had been giving over to this Jesus idea. A lot of people had answered Jesus. The question of Jesus as Messiah, Son of the living God. And it was exploding in Jerusalem. And they didn't know what to do with it. So these scribes and religious leaders who had known Jesus, had followed His ministry, now were like, how do we put a stop to this weird Jewish sect? So what do they do? They take Peter and John and they go up to Him and they're like, okay, fine. Just be quiet. You'll see that. They just go, we're going to let you go. We're going cause any more issues. Just be quiet on this Jesus name. Just don't talk about it. Leave it to your little sect. You can have a little corner in the temple. Do your own little thing. Just be quiet. What does that sound like? Does that sound like culture? That sounds like our culture. Again, just leave it alone. Don't cause a stir. Right? What if you have a son that wants to go into the ministry or a daughter that wants to go into the ministry? I don't, you, don't, you don't want to destroy your life. There, there's, no, there's no credit anymore of being a pastor or a, or a minister or working in the ministry field. There's no, there's no credit anymore to be a missionary. Don't do that. You must be out of your mind. Don't do that. Don't go to your workplace and talk about Jesus. Don't you dare go put Jesus into politics. Don't do all that stuff, because that stuff doesn't ultimately matter. Well, it matters to people that answer the question of who is Jesus. He's the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Because if you live like that, you will live radically. Because what did Peter and John do? Look at 23, chapter 4, verse 23. After they were released, they went to their own fellowship and reported all that the chief priest and the elders had said to them. When they had heard this, they raised their voices to God unanimously and said, Master, you are the one who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of your father David, your servant, why do the Gentiles rage and the people plot futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers assembled against the Lord, against His Messiah. So what did they do? They left the leaders. They went straight to their church and they praised For the suffering, they praised that they were released. And they worshipped and they sang. And they devoted themselves to their Lord. But look down a little bit on verse 31. When they had prayed, the place where they assembled was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak God's message with boldness. Do you want to know what it looks like in your own individual life and what it looks like in church to answer the question of who is Jesus by saying He is the Messiah, the Son of the Living God. And you answer it not just noetically or with your with knowledge, but you answer it by your heart and your mind and in service in the community, whether it's school or whether it's in your marketplace or your business or online or whatever. If you answer the question, who is Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of the Living God, it says your community will be filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to speak God's message with boldness. The assemble was shaken. I was told... By a professor of mine, don't you ever use Greek, right? You don't ever want to be one of those pastors that get up there because you can never really understand the language. But I'm going to do it, all right? Shaken here is used once before. And when it's used once, it's used at least at a place in Revelations that I find it really interesting. Because when it's used, it says here, it talks about when Jesus comes back. Because when He comes back, it says the cosmos will shake the cosmos. And we don't give that enough imagination. When Jesus comes back, the grand planet of Jupiter will shake its foundation. The sun itself won't know what to do. The cosmos, with all of its galaxies and its ever-expandingness, will shake at its core to our Lord Jesus Christ. But it says it happened here. I preached one time. I have a friend. His name is Tim Castile. He's in the Castile family. Uh, they were played at University of Alabama. He came to a congregation. One of the, the churches that I was preaching at one time. He's a really good friend. And we were talking about this. He said the, when he was playing in Alabama, there was a 2005 Alabama versus Florida game. And he says he felt the place shake in that game. He says I could feel it in my bones it shook. Have you ever experienced that at church? I know we're Baptists and we don't like to show a lot of emotion. And I'm not saying being Quaker or Pentecostal. What I'm saying is, have you ever been in a service where you felt it in your bones? Because we're, we're, we're good to do that at a football game. And if you think about a football game, it's just worship. It's just worshiping the wrong thing. We have our own mantras. We have our own hymns there. You have your own creeds you got your own people doing their own thing. And you're willing to act like a fool at a football game. Why can't we act like a fool for Christ here? Why can't you act like a fool for Christ at your business or at your school? Why can't you be at a place in a space where you make the ground shake because His Spirit is so much in you? Before we end, Me and my kids used to do it, and maybe we'll start it up again. When I was developing this sermon and we were doing these things, I would let them out in the car and I would ask them the question, Who is Jesus? And they would answer back, Daddy, He's the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Do this for me in your life. Do that on a daily basis. In fact, maybe even do it more than once a day. Get up in the morning, and the first thing you think of is you say, "Jesus, I know the answer. You're the Messiah, the Son of the Living God, and everything I do today is because of you, and it's for you." Maybe midday, just take a break. When you say your blessings, say, "You're the Messiah, the Son of the Living God. I answer it that way, truly." And my expectation is that your spirit's going to help me shake the world. And at the end of the night, when you go to you go to bed with all your troubles, you lay them at the feet of Jesus. Because you have answered it the same way Peter was given by God and say, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living, living God. If you've got problems in your life, do the same thing. Because, listen, he's not a literary figure, even though to some degree he is because he's in, he's in a book. But he is a real human being who was, who was the God-man who left an adult life to save me and you. And if you believe that, you will live that. If you believe that, your expectation is this town will be changed. This state will be changed. If you believe that, you will, tell, you will look culture straight in its face and say, I will give you value as a person, but you're not going to stop me talking about who is Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I am not the vessel to be speaking your words. I please ask that you forgive me. Thank you for allowing me to see you, not only see you in these stories, but see you in other Christians and see you working here at this church. Please ask, Father, that you would be with those here today, that you would fill them with the Holy Spirit, that you would fill our minds and our hearts and our hands for you. Help us to be Jesus to our world. In Christ's name I pray, amen.